It's Home Court Press, Utah Jazz Talk, Jazz Bites with Brian Priest and McCade Pearson. The Jazz are in a familiar situation as they hold a 3-1 series lead in the first round for the second consecutive season. Returning home for a potential closeout game five, will the Grizzlies behave like a trapped animal trying to survive? Or can the Vivint Arena crowd help carry the Jazz to a fourth straight win and some much needed rest before the second round? But first, does Quinn Snyder have anything up his sleeves to counteract the adjustments of Taylor Jenkins? Stay tuned as all that and more is coming up next on Home Court Press, Utah Jazz Talk, Jazz Bites. Welcome into Home Court Press, Utah Jazz Talk, Jazz Bites. This is your host, Brian Priest, joined as always by McCade Pearson. We're talking a third straight Utah Jazz win. They sit in a familiar position, up 3-1 in the first round. McCade, my first question to you, what's different from last season? Um, we're the one seed. And <laughs> that's the answer. Talent. <laughs> that's it. That's that's all we need. Um, I think that's a good place to start, but the Jazz are... I don't know if they're more talented than last year, but they're clicking a lot better, and Memphis doesn't have the talent that Denver has. I mean, Denver has the MVP this season, and uh, the Grizzlies are led by John Morant, who's played well, but he's John Morant. Yeah, John Morant's played great, but the Jazz have been able to bring him back to earth a little bit after a 47-point outburst in Game 2, and specifically that John Morant stuff has been because the Jazz are limiting his free-throw attempts. Gets to the line 20 times in Game 2, and the Jazz defensively have been much, much better on Ja. He was 6 of 8 from the free throw line yesterday. And I think, would you agree that we can probably live with 8 free throw attempts from Ja? Yep, especially because no one else on the Grizzlies is doing that much. Dylan Brooks is having nights here or there. Yeah. Um, but the Jazz are doing just fine against the Grizzlies um, as a team anyway. Yeah, the Jazz, they had stretches last night where they looked really good and other stretches where they do still look a little bit out of rhythm. I don't think that's unexpected as they they try and reintegrate Donovan into the offense. And what I was really impressed by, a couple things that stood out to me big picture-wise with that game was a 41-point third quarter and the way the Jazz were able to turn what had been in the previous three games kind of a nightmare quarter for the Jazz, especially in Game 2 when Memphis cut into that 20-point halftime Jazz lead. They were able to make the adjustments and ride a hot streak and really take the game to Memphis, which I liked a lot. And then, plus-minus-wise, everybody that played for the Jazz yesterday was a positive. And that's one thing that you and I have harped on consistently is in the non-Rudy minutes, if we can just be a net zero the Jazz have an opportunity to be great, and they were exactly that last night. Yeah, and I think he was very present to be like a plus three. Um, yep, he did. A lot of variety of reasons. If we want to get into that a tiny bit, Worse O'Neal hitting threes is a big reason of that. Um, the Jazz have kind of had somebody step up every game now. Derek Favors himself had six points in the first quarter on you know back-to-back-to-back baskets. So great stuff from the Jazz all the way around. Yesterday was a big team win. Everybody played well at the time, and everybody had some struggles. Uh, but in the end, everybody played well enough to pick up a second road win in Memphis. Anytime you go into a playoff series and get two road wins, you're in great position to win the series as a whole. Let's talk about Royce O'Neal really quick. I think it's something that has gone under the radar a little bit, but we don't need Royce to shoot a great percentage. What you need is Royce to be willing to shoot the basketball. And so I pulled up his numbers from these four games, 
And that's exactly what he's doing. He's getting open shots. The way the Jazz offense is designed and with the personnel that they're going to have on the floor a majority of the time, Royce is going to be the player that they leave open on the perimeter. And so you need Royce to be willing to pull the trigger. He's 12 of 21 from the three-point line this series. So in game one, he was one of three. These next two games, I love these numbers. I mean, we could throw game four into this too. He was four of six in game two, four of seven in game three and three of five in game four. The only problem I have with Royce O'Neal taking threes is sometimes he'll hesitate, and he doesn't take the first look. It's almost like he thinks about it just a hair too long, and then when he shoots, it ends up being sure it's off. Right now, he's catching and just pulling, and zero hesitation, and I think it's critical, absolutely critical for this Jazz offense to be successful. Yeah, Royce has been amazing um, offensively this series. He's rebounded the ball pretty well, which he's done all year. Um, he's had a pretty good series, all things considered. We can sit there and talk about his uh, relative shortcomings against John Moran, but, you know, the Jazz have that guy to do everything defensively, and so you're yeah. going to have some matchups that aren't very favorable to him. Big stuff from Moisa Nil this series, and as long as he's shooting shots, the Jazz are in a good position, and when he's making shots, the Jazz are in a great position. It's exciting because there are these little things we know kind of what to expect from the stars. We know what's going to happen with Donovan Mitchell. We know that Mike Conley is going to be a steadying influence and run the offense. We know that Rudy Gobert is going to control the paint on both ends of the floor. And it's what can you get out of those role players? What can you get out of Royce O'Neal? What can you get out of Bojan Bogdanovich? What can you get out of Joe Ingles? What can you get out of Jordan Clarkson? And you're always going to have a couple of those guys that are going to struggle but as long as you have one or two of them that can have good games and be effective, that's what's important for this Jazz team is we've got the stars at the top. Who can help carry a three- or four-minute stretch from time to time? Jordan Clarkson is another guy. I thought he has rebounded pretty well from the struggles in game one. He's still not shooting a great percentage from the three-point line, but last night he went four of nine from three, eight of 18 from the field, scored 24 points, and... I've been saying it for a while. I know you and I disagree on the effectiveness of Jordan Clarkson and his efficiency. I just think it's important what he's able to create offensively by putting the ball on the floor and causes defenses to panic in a lot of ways because he is such a strong dribble drive player and he can shoot the three. He's so unpredictable. And so even if he's not hitting shots, I still think what he does is important. But when he is hitting shots, when he is averaging that 15, 16, 17 points a game, when he can have an outburst like last night and score 24, shoot pretty well from three. I I thought that Jordan Clarkson, he seems to be settling in. There were some concerns about the type of player he could be in the playoffs. But I've been really happy with his progress through four games. Well, the Jazz win this game by seven points after shooting three of 16 in the fourth quarter. A big reason of that is because Doran Clarkson at the end of the third quarter built that lead to 13 points in about 90 seconds. Um, I'm not sure the Jazz win this game without that stretch from Doran Clarkson. And yeah, he was great last night. I want to talk about the Taylor Jenkins-Quinn Snyder chess match that they've been having. Obviously, these guys know each other incredibly well. They coached together for several seasons. Taylor Jenkins worked on a Quinn Snyder staff in the G League. They coached under Budenholzer in Atlanta. And so they're making great adjustments, but they know what each other is going to do. One thing that has stood out to me is how the Jazz are defensively. They don't look great, but they're forcing the Grizzlies into uncomfortable spots on the floor. The Grizzlies attempted the 23rd 
fewest threes per game this season, just under, just over 31 per game. And in the last two games in Memphis, the Jazz forced him into 41 three-point shot attempts in game three, 35 attempts in game four. They're shooting 30% from the three-point line in those two games. And to me, I think that's a very important adjustment that Quinn's been able to make. The Grizzlies are still getting a lot of points in the paint. They had 64 last night, but they're tough looks. They're not getting very many easy layups. They're not getting to the basket because Rudy Gobert is such a menace down there. And so the the points in the paint are those mid-range floaters that John Moran's been so good at. But I love the way that they've kind of, the, the Jazz have gone against the grain of the typical NBA style these days, and they actually want to force Memphis to shoot threes because it's just not what they're most effective at. Yeah, this is a, bit, a really fun chess matchup. Um, as you said, they know each other super well. I think the Jazz forcing the Grizz into uncomfortable situations and a lot of mid-range looks. And Jaws, you know, has a solid floater, but a floater's not a good long-term option by any means. On the other side, uh, the Grizzlies have done a relatively good job of taking Joe Ingles out of this series, and then you stop you look at Joe Ingles' numbers, and you're like, you know what, maybe they have it. Like, Joe's been fine. Um, maybe he hasn't had the impact we're quite used to, but, you know, he's shooting 90-50-40 and averaging 8-9 points a game and a couple assists and only has, you know, turnover game, and Joe's playing, like, relatively well when you stop and look at it. But, you know, he's doing a lot less than we're used to. Um, a large part of that's because the Grizzlies are looking to take him out, and rightfully so. Joe's one of our most impactful players. Mm-hmm. You look at the Grizzlies doubling down on attacking the offensive glass the first three games and had a lot of success with that. You look at the turnover differential between the two teams and whatnot, and you can tell both teams had strategies of what they were going to try and do this series. And I think both teams have been successful in those strategies, and it's led to both teams picking up key wins at key times. Um, but at the end of the day, the Jazz just have too much talent for the Grizzlies to truly hang around. But you got to give the Grizzlies a lot of credit because their strategies have definitely worked, and they've definitely kept... You know, they won game one, and they definitely kept uh, games two, three, and four a lot closer than some of us expected. You want to talk about Joe Ingles a little bit more? Because I think some people might be surprised to hear you say that he's actually playing pretty well because those counting stats are down. So if you look at the box score, you think Joe didn't have a very good game, and he hasn't been as impactful as we've come to expect him to be. But, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. He's not actually playing that poorly. He's just not getting the same opportunities because of the Grizzlies' defensive game plan. I mean, he has a good game one-ish, 11 points on four shots, just really good shooting. There's some defensive issues there in the Jazz just game one. But, you know, game two, he has 14 points and three assists on four of four shooting, 33 from the line. You know, that's a flawless night. Um, that is a big part of why the Jazz win game two. And then, yeah, he has a quiet game three. He's one for four from three, but that's not bad. It's just a quiet night from Joe. And then even last night, people, I don't, I don't think he looked great last night. He was one for four from the field, uh, missed both of his three-point attempts. But, you know, he had five rebounds, four assists, and kind of did his thing and made an impact on the game there. And so, yeah, Joe's not out there having his 12 points and his, you know, beef with Paul George and all that fun stuff. But, you know, he's doing his thing. And if he doesn't score, he doesn't score. And that's okay because the Jazz don't necessarily need Joe Ingles to be a big-time scorer. Um, They have a ton of pieces. They just have a bunch of dudes that can do a bunch of things. Um, And so Joe Ingles is having not bad games, but just invisible games, it's not the end of the world from the Jazz. And I said he was great in games one and two. So we'll see what happens in game five, but I am a lot less worried about Joe Ingles the morning after than I am in the moment. I don't think it's a big deal. 
Joe Ingalls, you can look at it a couple different ways, and you can take the same argument, and I would be able to argue either side of this one. If I wanted to go negative, I would say, how are the Grizzlies taking away Joe Ingalls' effectiveness and limiting his shot attempts? And it's frustrating to watch Joe Ingalls just kind of float and not really be involved. But on the other side of the argument, I love the fact that Joe understands what the defense is trying to do, how he can best help this team, and he doesn't need to force anything. He just takes what is available to him. He plays incredibly smart basketball. No matter what you have to say about Joe Ingles, he's too slow, and I don't know how he's able to do anything in the NBA. Or if you love Joe, you have to recognize that he plays smart basketball every minute that he's on the floor. He makes very few mistakes, especially on the offensive end. And yeah, while the counting stats are down, I think it's more of that latter argument of the Grizzlies have done a very good job defensively, and so Joe has recognized that his primary role in this series may not be as a ball handler and a creator and a distributor. It's more of a stand-in-the-corner, catch-and-shoot when the pass comes to you, but otherwise, just space the floor, and that's fine. I mean, let's stop and think for a second. The Joe Ingles came in the league when he was 27 years old. Um, and now Joe Ingles is 33, very shy of 34, and he's a number two or three. Hey, that's our strategy this year. Is we're going to stop Joe Ingles. That's a pretty darn good player, especially at that age. That you got to give a lot of credit for. That I'm not worried about Joe, especially moving forward. And who knows? Maybe we'll get to have some more fun with Joe Ingles and Paul George in a playoff series. Well, that would be wood. fun, but I'd still rather play the Mavericks if the Jazz advance to the second round. I'm not get. I'm not putting a. The cart ahead of the horse on this one. We did that Twitter space thing last night, which is so much fun. Thank you to everybody who tuned in and and had some conversations, some questions. I just love to get that instant reaction. And I think I've said it before on the last one. It's it's just better for me to actually have a conversation than to just read those 280 character tweets because I don't get the actual feeling of the emotion of what the fan base is looking at. We got the question last night about who the Jazz would like to play in the second round. I won't even answer that type of stuff. I won't even give it a second thought because last year I was planning on the Jazz advancing to the second round, and we know how that turned out. I said this last night, and I'll say it again. The conversations we're going to have on Monday if the Jazz blow a 3-1 lead to the Grizzlies are going to be so extreme and a waste (laughs) of time and infuriating that I'm going to pretend it's impossible because I do not want to deal with the conversations we'll have to have on Monday morning if the Jazz do indeed lose to the Grizzlies in seven games. So I'm, I'm not going to entertain that one I either. like clinching up this series and saying it's over because I'm not prepared to deal with the conversations that will need to be had on Monday morning. Thanks for tuning in today. It's Season 2 of Home Court Press with McCade Pearson and Brian Priest as we make our return with Season 2 Playoffs Edition. Look for our Jazz Bites game recaps after almost every Jazz game and our weekly Wednesday looking at happenings around the league as the playoffs unfold. Home Court Press can be found on any of your major podcatchers, including Google, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, and on Twitter at homecourt underscore press. And please, if you like what you're hearing, share, rate, and review the show so we can expand our audience. Lastly, give McCade Pearson a follow on Twitter at McCadeP8, and you can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter at bpriest24. As always, thanks for listening to Home Court Press. Take note. Now back to the show. Let's talk about Donovan Mitchell and the growth of his game. The fourth quarter, it stood out to me in particular. He he has a good game overall. He scores 30 points. 
He finishes with eight assists. He gets two rebounds. Those assist numbers have gone up each game that he's played in this series, which is really exciting to me. He went from zero in game two, five in game three, now eight last night, still getting his points. But what stands out to me the most when I look at the fourth quarter last night is the Jazz were really, really struggling. They end up shooting three of 16 from the field in that fourth quarter. But Donovan Mitchell recognized it uh, three, four, five minutes in, and he started to just draw fouls. Just go to the bucket, get hit, get to the free throw line, slow the pace of the game down, stop the Grizzlies' run. They were starting to build momentum And Donovan Mitchell has learned to be able to get to the free throw line and use free throws to control the pace of play. Right now in the series, McCade, he's 25 of 28 from the line, averaging just over nine free throws per game. That's fifth in the playoffs. Behind Jason Tatum, Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis, and Ja Morant. I mean, that's a pretty strong list, isn't it? There's some guys that have had some big games, you know. Uh, I think Jaw, Anthony Davis, I believe Jason Tatum, but don't quote me on that one, have all had uh, games with 20 free throw attempts. And Dunn's not having these big breakouts. Well, yeah, I had 20, and then, you know, 5 and 5 and 6. You know, he's been very consistent. You said 28, you know, I think he's about 13, 9 and 6 to get to that 28. I need to double check on that. Um, he's only doing that three games, right? So. Donovan's been fantastic in this regard. Some of it is just Dylan Brooks is not the smartest guy in the world, especially on a couple three-point fouls. You're like, what are you doing? Like, it's not a great shot. Donovan's probably not going to make that. Like, why are you, why are you taking him down? Um, but some of it is just savviness and uh, some veteran experience and some really strong pace by Donovan. I've been impressed with his ability to slow down his decision-making on the pick-and-roll and draw some fouls in the floater area. And then on top of that, Donovan is an elite player at drawing non-shooting fouls which doesn't have quite as much value as shooting fouls obviously but it gets teams in the bonus it gets players in foul trouble and that's a big help as well dan i would argue that yet brooks has been overly aggressive at times and defensively donovan's been able to take advantage of that but i think that's kind of the point donovan recognizes that aggressiveness on the defensive end and has been able to put dylan brooks in positions where he's consistently each game he's getting fouled on three point shot attempts and he's using dylan brooks's aggressiveness against him and i think that just shows the intelligence and the growth of donovan mitchell's game 2 years ago he's not able to do that on that twitter space last night i can't remember who it was that made this comment but they were talking about how Donovan used to work so hard to get his shots, and he felt like he had to just be great offensively. And now he's starting to recognize there was a comparison between the growth and development of Donovan Mitchell and Bradley Beal, and how Beal is a much smarter player now, and he's not afraid to get his points from the free throw line because they count just the same whether you're shooting free throws or you're making a three-point shot. So he's just able to use that growth and take advantage of whatever the defense is giving to him. If he was able to get more open looks and had a more a better defender in front of him than Dylan Brooks, who relies so much on the physicality, I think Donovan would be playing a little bit different. He adjusts to what, like kind of like I was saying with Joe Ingles earlier, you adjust your game to what the defense is giving you, and you take what is there rather than trying to force something. It's a much more intelligent way to play, and I think it allows for more consistency. Donovan's been really, really good. The shooting hasn't quite been there, and we'll see how that goes throughout the playoffs. Um, but, you know, you look at last night, you know how 
much I love my true shooting percentage and efficiency. And Donovan goes eight for 22 from the field, which is not great by any means. But his ability to go, I believe it was 12 and 13 from the free throw yep. line. Um, so he ends up with 30 points on 22 shots, makes it at least an average night. And that's what you got to do to be a superstar is when you can't shoot well, you've got to figure out a way to just to be average. And on top of that, we haven't even mentioned Donovan Mitchell, eight assists last night, a couple passes that led to free throws, which count as assists in anywhere, in any league in the entire world outside of America. They count that as an assist if you get somebody the ball and they make a free throw off of it. So Donovan Mitchell's passing last night, I think, was a big part of why the Jazz won. And just a great, great, great performance by you know, really all three of our all-stars, and that's what you got to do to win in the playoffs. It was so important in the fourth quarter with the Jazz shooting three of 16. Conley hit those really two big three-point shots. Bojan had one in the corner. What I loved the most about the three that Bojan made was the fact that it was off of an offensive rebound where Bojan had missed a three in the same spot. And earlier this year, I just felt like mentally bogey, Borg, if you will, was so disjointed at times that he probably would have missed that second three as well. But he was able to reset, clear his mind in a matter of seconds and hit a gigantic three-point shot. And then also as a team, not just Donovan Mitchell getting to the free throw line. They were 11 of 12 as a team in the in that fourth quarter when they couldn't hit anything from the field. Donovan was six of six. Rudy went three of four. He's had his struggles at the free throw line in the playoffs and it was great to see the Jazz just find a way. That, to me, is what speaks of the experience, the idea that they've been here before, and this is a group that has played together for several years. And it, I think that's the biggest separator between them and the Memphis Grizzlies right now. I, I know there are some people who feel disappointed that the Jazz haven't been able to pull away and get a blowout or two in this series, but... This is pretty much exactly what I expected. I expected the the Grizzlies to win one game. I expected every game to be close. I have been looking for one Jazz blowout. We haven't gotten that yet. But we've seen night after night that the Jazz are the better team. They they are the better unit. They're playing together. Speaks volumes to me that even when they're not playing their best basketball, they're not even close to what they were in late January and February earlier this season but they're still finding a way to grind these games out and get wins, and that's what the playoffs are. You're not going to blow a lot of teams out in the playoffs. People look at they get lost at the 1-8 matchup, but this is a completely different 1-8 matchup. The West is so stacked from top to bottom. This Grizzlies team, I honestly believe most years, are probably a 4 or a 5 seed. It's just the conference is so good this year that they, they had to hang on and fight and scratch and claw and I don't buy the argument that the play-in was stupid because it awards mediocrity. This Grizzlies team is fantastic, and they wouldn't be here without that play-in tournament. We wouldn't have this fun series. Yep, and, you know, let's stop and really look around the league just for 10 seconds before we start wrapping up. The 76ers are up 3-1 against the Wizards. They got there in a little different way, but they're up 3-1. And you look down the Western Conference, and they're 2-2, 2-2, 2-2. And, so, you know, the Jazz are the only team in the West with – three wins already and they've been the last team to play every one of their games and yet they're the first one to three wins and likely going to be the first one to wrap up their series on Wednesday and so yes it sucked to lose game one and it kind of shifted the pressure and I don't say the narrative but at least the flow of the series and yet the Jazz are now in a great 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 position to close this out in five games in front of a fantastic crowd of vivid and that's something to be proud of I'm not sure the last time the Jazz won a playoff series with zero or one losses it might have been the finals years 
if I'm remembering correctly. Like, I think it's been that long since the Jazz have won the series in four or five games. Didn't um, they beat three the, or four games. I think they beat the We oh, Believe Warriors. The We five. Believe Warriors were 4-1. You are correct on yeah. that. I don't know how I brain farted that. That's like, I know that. Good catch, though. And so, you know, Jazz should be very proud of themselves for putting themselves in this position to be up 3-1 coming home um, against an 8 seed. And with all due respect to the Grizzlies, this is one of the reasons the Jazz wanted to be the 1 seed all year is because you could build a 3-1 lead against the Grizzlies, and it's really hard to build a 3-1 lead against the Lakers or the Blazers or the Mavericks. So props to the Jazz and hope all goes well in Game 5. Was there anything else you want to talk about last night's game? I did have a question for you as we start to look ahead to Wednesday night. Series shifts back to Salt Lake at the Viv. It's going to be 7.30, right? Yep, because the Wizards beat the 76ers, so that has to be an NBA TV doubleheader. So here's my question for you, McCade. The Jazz have the opportunity to come back to Salt Lake and clinch this series, win it in five games. How important is rest as you watch this team? Do you feel like they're as beat up as they looked late in the season? And you've looked at the other series. You know, If the Jazz do win on Wednesday, they're going to end up facing either the Clippers or the Mavericks. Both of those teams have had injury issues of their own. What is the importance of four, five, six days of rest if the Mavericks and Clippers go six or seven games and the Jazz can win in five? I think it's a big deal not to win this series. I think if the Jazz lose on Wednesday, they'll probably win on Friday. And heaven forbid if they lose on Wednesday or Friday, they'll probably win on Sunday. But if the Jazz want to win a championship... I would not mind having four days off if the, the Mass Clippers go six games or six days off if the Mass Clippers go seven games. Um, and that's why the Jazz need to win on Wednesday. Uh, Don Mitchell still has an ankle injury. Joe Ingles and Mike Conley and Boyan and all those guys are still relatively old. Um, even Rudy, I'm sure, could use a breath. Um, oh, yeah. Rudy so, definitely needs an ice bath after the JV series. <laughs> absolutely. So the Jazz need to come home and it's the playoffs, so I hate using the phrase take care of business, but that's really what it is. You know, you're the one seed, they're the eight seed, you're up 3-1. Just take care of business and play like you played the last three games, and the Grizzlies are going to have a hard time having a big night to beat you. And then you get that four days off. I'm not sure if I'd want, you know, seven days off, eight days off like the Bucks are getting right now, but four days off from a Wednesday to a Sunday mm-hmm. or maybe Tuesday if that other series goes seven games is a very reasonable amount of rest to get this Jazz team prepared for the rest of the playoffs. So 7.30 Wednesday night at the Viv, if you're not going to be at the game, it's going to be on NBA TV and AT&T Sportsnet. I'm sorry, you have to choose between those two. It's just not a good option, but that's what the first round of the playoffs is. McCade, where can they find you on social media? And tell us about this Spaces thing again. Yeah, you can find me at McCade P8. It's M-C-C-A-D-E-P-8. Nip Twitter has their new Spaces thing where it's an audio conversation. It's basically a chat room. Um, it's got a very radio feel like to it where – Brian and I, usually a third co-host or whatever I decide to do because I'm in charge. <laughs> I can let people in. <laughs> well, you don't like that? I feel no, powerful. No, uh, I, I thought no. it was great. It just sounded like you were really <laughs> putting your flag on the moon and staking a claim. I know. Look at me with my confidence. No, but uh, I can let people in, and then we chit-chat about the jazz, ask questions, and have a good conversation. I think we had 40, 50, 60 people on last night. We're going to try to do it for, I say, half hour to 45 minutes, but it always goes an hour because jazz fans are great and have great questions, and we haven't gotten anything super repetitive yet. So we'll see how it goes in the future, but I think we're going to plan to do that after every game. We just talked jazz basketball. Um, last night was a great conversation. We had a good chunk of you know talking about last night's game, obviously, but then we also had some next series stuff and some game five preparation stuff and some big picture series stuff and it was really really good so come join that um how to join it to the top of your page by stories and fleets um on mobile devices on the twitter app so if you have any questions shoot me a dm tweet at me call brian and we'll figure it out 
The thing that I like most about the Spaces thing is a tweet can be curated. You can think about it. You can put together your thoughts over a period of time. But I just love to be able to hear the instant reaction from Jazz fans and the questions that come from a win, the doubts that come from losses. It's a lot of fun for me. It's I'm glad that we're implementing this. It's a great idea from you, McCade. And I think that it's something that can allow you know the fans, the tweets of Jazz Nation to get to know each other a little bit more, learn what our actual thoughts and feelings are about the Jazz from game to game and not just those curated tweets. But I'm really enjoying it. It's a fun format, so please jump on, join us after each of these games. So for me, you can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter, at bpriest24. That's at B-P-R-E-E-C-E-24. You can find Home Court Press at homecourt underscore press if you like what you're hearing from the show. As we love to do it, please remember to like, share, rate, and review it so more people can find it. But, McCade, we're one win away from advancing to the second round. That means, take note.